and welcome to another edition of Nucleus Investment Insights. Uh, this week we have titled it Investment, uh, sorry, Income Investors Beware. Sorry, let me get that up. And um, what we've, what we're trying to, what we really wanted to sort of focus in on today, uh, just keeping in mind that all everything you're going to hear is is uh, general in nature and doesn't constitute personal financial advice. But really, what I wanted to try and focus in on is is this idea of that um, you know income investors. Uh, I've got their moment in the sunshine at the moment, um, but they've just been through a pretty uh, a pretty dire uh, few years. If you were uh, looking for you know your savings to generate income, and really now is a time you should be thinking about if, if you are looking to live off income, uh, you really should be looking at at what how you should be setting yourself up while interest rates are high, so that you don't run into that problem if we get into the uh, the, the point where where interest rates um, uh, could fall back. So yes, yeah, so a bit of a presentation. We're going to run through, um, you know, the different rates available on, on a number of different um, things, whether it's cash, bonds, shares, uh, inflation-linked bonds, what you can expect from it, uh, and then running through each of those, what the dangers are in terms of investing in them, and, and really what you should be looking for uh, in terms of setting yourself up um, for a uh, so yeah, so that you don't run into to to any problems if we go through uh, those lower interest rates again. So. Um, uh, feel free to drop in any questions. I know this is uh, you know a relatively um, it's a it's a topic that may not appeal to everyone, but the people it does appeal to, uh, I think, feel quite strongly and 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 often have a lot of questions around uh, how you can um, you know how you can protect that that money if you if you're trying to live off your your income. So I'm going to start with um, just some long term returns on assets, and, and this is sort of. A uh, from a from a study that um, a book uh, trying for the optimists and it looks at different returns on different asset classes over a very long period of time. I'll often sort of talk about this, um, so sort of a hundred odd years, and really what you get out of it, and, and and adjusted for inflation in in all these different countries, and and really the the, the key message is that you know your stocks are doing sort of four to six percent returns over that time frame um, above inflation. Uh, and then your uh, your bills, which is sort of not a bad indicator for for uh, what you might get in the bank, um, is looking at uh, you know ab- above inflation, but sort of you know one percent above inflation. And then the bonds are uh, probably get you you know close to another one percent on top of that if you're uh, over the, over the longer term. But you will go through significant periods where um, either one of those uh, you know. That cash can can outperform some of these other assets, uh, and and so it's not a matter of, of just sort of picking automatically, but it, but there's that idea if you if you're going to stay in cash for for long periods of time, you're going to get returns that are below bonds and below um, uh, equities as well. Well, that's certainly been the the historical experience uh, for people. Uh, the the other thing you need to uh, for income investors. Uh, you know, really to think about is is this idea about um, capital versus income, and so it it may be that at certain times you do need to dip into capital to to pay off income, and and I know that often hurts for for people, and 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 I I guess I'm presenting this as an idea about um, how you look at how to look at investments overall. Um, there is a certain element where where you should be a little bit agnostic to, to to the returns, and actually, often from a tax perspective, you are often better off getting returns as capital rather than as income, and then getting um, discounts on it. But 
Uh, I do know psychologically for people, it is a big thing for people to feel as if I've got my capital, that's sitting there, that's growing, and I'm just living off uh, whatever that capital's throwing out. And so if that's the case, um, you know, I, I get that as a as a uh, as a psychological need for for a lot of people, and so uh, from that perspective, you, you you know you really should be thinking about which are the which are the assets that are going to give me a steady income because we've been through uh, some periods over the last just couple of the last ten years where we've seen uh, you know, interest rates on bank accounts drop to pretty much zero, and so um, yeah, so that's that's an important factor. Uh, you know the, the tax, uh, and then the other thing as well, which which I'll, I will I'll get into for some of these assets. The actual structure of how you're buying these assets can actually often make a big difference in terms of how you're getting the the uh, the income as well. So I'm going to use some bond funds as an as an example, but um, there's there's some ways where if you're buying the underlying bonds, you are getting this reasonable yield. But but actually, if you bought some of these bond funds, you actually didn't get um, the the yield you, you thought you might have been getting from it for for other reasons, which I'll I'll dig into as, as we go through. So yeah, so structure is important and thinking about tax and then that that whole capital versus income. Uh, so I'll pop up a chart that just to sort of show the uh, bank deposit rates you could have got over the last sort of 20 odd years uh, or 30 years. Um, they sort of have varied quite dramatically. So back in the 80s, you could sort of pick up you know, 10%, 12% um, in all these different bank accounts, which was which was great. But, uh, you know, pretty much since the uh, since the 90s, we've been talking about, uh, you know, between 2 and 6% um, on, on different types of uh, bank accounts. I've, I've sort of, I've, I've isolated this. There's a, there's a few different um, elements, but it's, it's worth noting there's some, some pretty big um, differences. So, you know, the, the cash management account used to be the... Um, I guess the the account that most people would sort of uh, use as, a, as an investment account, and it's just worth noting that that really over the last um, uh, few years it's got dramatically worse in terms of the interest rates that, that you can get on cash management accounts, um, but also over the longer term, yeah, you know, you, you, it tends to, to to be right at the bottom of, of the returns, and so it does mean if you are going to have um, you know in, income at, at the bank. Is you probably do need to be do at least a little bit of work in terms of making sure you're getting the uh, the, the the right returns. There's a lot of um, sort of online savings banks and and bonus savers which give some pretty good headline rates. Um, but again, it's it is a it's a real matter of making sure that you're um, you're going to fit the criteria that that they're looking for, and and you actually will genuinely be you know if they if they require whatever it is a, a deposit a month and no withdrawals or whatever the case is that that you're actually meeting that because um, uh, if you don't then often the the, the rates or well, the rates that they actually pay versus the rates that they advertise tend to be a lot lower. Um, people are pretty optimistic about no no I'm not going to need any of my savings and I'll never dip into it. Um, but if if the case is that, that you do then then yeah, the rates you're receiving can can drop quite low, and it's worth noting noting we've got some some really big divergences at the moment between uh, the rates in terms of you know those cash management accounts. Um, yeah, a lot of them are, are still under one percent in terms of the yields, whereas uh, there's there's other you know other accounts around there where you're sort of getting four four and a half percent at the moment uh, in terms of the types of returns you can get, uh, and. Um, the other the other factor though is the the term deposits, which I've slotted in there as a um, uh, as some lines on on a one year and a three year, not a lot of difference generally between the the, the two, 
but it is worth noting, um, you know, how low those those both those the one year and the three year got uh, in that twenty twenty period. And and you know, it's not the first time you've seen um, some meaningful drops. So you know, in two thousand and eight, we sort of went from you know, getting five six percent on that to sort of getting uh, more like three percent on some of those returns. And if that's what you're using to live off your income, then um, you know, halving your income um, makes a big difference. And even worse, when you end up in a in a situation like twenty twenty one, where you, you effectively went from um, you know you probably relatively low rates anyway of, of two or three percent, um, but down to effectively zero. And so um, yeah, so so the idea is how do we how do we um, sort of sort that problem out, and 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 what can we do about it? So uh, the first one is. Um, yeah, really thinking about what we can do in terms of the uh, in in terms of uh, government bonds. Now they they're your your safe asset, and uh, you know it's backed by the Australian government, and you're gonna get you're gonna be able to lock in your returns for much longer periods of time if you're using those. So if you look at the the latest, um, yeah, so from earlier this morning, some of the the uh, returns you can get if you're gonna put say a ten year government bond down. Um, yesterday you were sort of getting close, pretty close to 4.3. Today's closer to 4.2, um, and that's locked in for for the next 10 years. So, you know, in comparison, you can lock in a three year um, with the bank at the moment for for you know, the average the RBA is talking about is 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 four percent for the average three year loan. So, you know, if something if you're looking at at government bonds as a uh, as a as a potential or, or as an offset. Um, you can lock in your rates for much, much longer. The other thing you can do with a government bond is it does give you the option to sell at, at certain times. So you, I think partly you need to think about bonds in as, um, well, the way, the way I like to think about them from an asset allocation perspective is it's actually giving me an option. So if I'm looking at it, I'm saying, I, I want to I mainstay for my portfolio. I want to make sure that a certain part of my portfolio is going to earn um, you know, 4.2% for the next 10 years. I can go, great. But that's what I want. I'm going to buy myself a government bond. That's going to mean that I'm going to earn at least 4.2%. Now, if you if the economy in the meantime runs into trouble, it takes a tumble. Um, say you run into sort of a, a pandemic, or you run into uh, you know 2007, 2008 type type financial crisis. The value of that bond is going to go up in value. So so the yield is going to go down. The value is going to go up. I'm, I'm locked in that four percent. So so the day I bought it, that's it. I know I know the return I'm getting over the next. Um, the next few years. And so, um, but what I can do is if the value of that bond goes up from $100 to $110, I can now sell that and go and buy shares at a cheaper price. So that sort of gives me that option. The flip side is, well, what happens if interest rates go up much higher and the value of that bond goes down? Well, it uh, depends on whether I'm selling it or not. If I, if I don't have an impetus to sell and I'm looking to get that that 4% return over that, over that 10 years and, and just carry that, then... Uh, you know, I haven't actually lost any money as long as you know if I'm not trading it, and so it's a question about which of the bonds you've, you know, I tend to think about as I'm putting bond portfolios together as there's a section of it that is sort of a bit like a ladder, and that's just the part I'm holding. It's it's in the sitting in the portfolio. They're going to keep rolling off. You know, one bond will roll off every year, and you'll take it and you know buy a, buy a 15 year bond on the end or or whatever it is, and that's the type of port. You know, we we have some of those portfolios, very low fee, you know, not a lot of thought. Um, behind it, it's just in there to keep your your um, low fees and and keep a return and income coming through. 
Uh, and then the option, then, then there's a, a sort of more of a trading part, which is like, okay, I'll buy some 10-year bonds and uh, you know, I might buy some, some load up a little bit more of the long end if I think interest rates are falling or, or uh, markets can be a bit uh, tougher or, or equities are over overvalued with a view that then I'll actually be able to use that part to sell and, and, and go and put that into, into stocks. Um, yeah, so that's that's the, the bond part, and and I think for for investors that would be the key one I'd be talking about is saying if you were um, if if you would look at a period if you either did look at a period say from 2017 to 2021 and see that your income fell from you know what you had in deposits fell to nothing, or you're looking now looking forward and, and thinking you're going to live off your 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 cash and your savings. Is that um, keep that keep these interest rates in mind, and if you you know if that's what you're trying to do, you just want to lock in a return. You could lock in you know four to four and a half percent. Um, you know if you want to go out thirty years, you can lock in 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 four and a half percent for the next thirty years in a government bond, and and you know and relax a little bit more if that's if that was your primary goal is to is 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 to is that safety of income and making sure that that's going to keep coming. Um, I spoke a little bit more about structures, though, and, and and structures is important in bonds. So, if you are buying these bonds directly, or you're buying them through um, a fund like ours that that gives you the actual underlying bonds sit in your name, and um, you you sort of get all the distributions, and and you don't have to worry about what other people are doing in terms of tax, um, then then these are the types of returns you can get, you know, depending upon how you structure it, but that's, you, you, you're, you can get what's called a running yield, which is how much you're going to get every year, which is close to those rates. The issue comes um, in some of the managed bond funds that you get is that they'll give you these types of returns. So they're not going to, you're not going to miss out on the, the returns overall, but they might not give it back to you as actually, as actually distributions. So, and what I mean by that is if you think of a bond fund, is is basically you and a whole bunch of other investors all sort of bundled in together in this in this fund, uh, and there's people buying in and selling out all the time. And so if there's this if this inflow of assets where uh, the bond fund goes from managing you know whatever five billion dollars worth of assets, and then a whole bunch more people join, and now it's got six billion dollars worth of assets, is the bond funds had to go out and buy more bonds, and then when people leave, they've got to go turn around and sell bonds and. And that can raise capital gains and capital losses, and it, it actually causes some some um, uh, can cause some issues in terms of a t- from a tax perspective, where the bond fund actually decides, you know what, um, yeah, we made four percent over the last year, um, but we're not going to pay it out to investors because if we pay it out to investors, it's actually going to realise some tax issues for us, and so we're actually better off for everyone's sake in terms of holding that money within the fund and not paying a distribution. Now, from the from the bond fund manager's perspective, that's that's probably the best thing. They're trying to manage the tax situation for all these investors and and all these people are buying in and selling out. For the investor who bought a bond fund because they wanted income, though, uh, that, that that's exactly what they didn't want, and that's what we saw from a whole bunch of bond funds, including bond ETFs, over the last uh, over those couple of years pre and running into the pandemic, is that you might have owned a bond ETF thinking you were going to get these these steady yields all the time, and all of a sudden the yields disappeared, and then you would have had to go on and, and sell the bond. Now, it may not be the worst thing, but I guess what I'm saying, if you're buying these things because you want that psychological, um, I've got my capital there, and, and and I'm just living off the income, then um, that can be you know that can be disturbing for people who've who invested in those types of funds. Uh, yep. Yeah, so that's. 
that's the government bonds and the government bond funds. The, the one that's well worth looking at for people and keeping an eye on um, is the inflation-linked bonds. Now, uh, you know, inflation's obviously falling a lot at the moment, um, so they're not as, uh, you know, it's not as, as big of a uh, priority. And, and actually, there's uh, a lot of funds flowing out of uh, some of the inflation-linked bond funds. But it is at least worth knowing how they work because... If your view is you want to keep your capital, you, you've got that idea that, yeah, I want to have my capital and then I want to live off the income that's coming through. Inflation-linked bonds are, are exactly what you want. So you buy, this is a, I've just got an indicator, a, a chart up sort of showing what what's sitting on the ASX side of, um, to, to describe it. So basically you buy your bond, your, your, your um, inflation-linked bond, government bond, and say it's... Uh, you say you spend $100 to buy this bond and it might be paying you a a 1% dividend yield in the, in the first one, in the first year. Let's just say it's paying annually. Uh, most of them pay you know, quarterly or, 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 or semi-annually, but, but let's just pretend annually just to make it all a bit easier. So it's paying me 1%. If inflation over that year is, say, 3%, what will happen is the value of my... I, I got a, So I've spent $100, I got a dollar as a as a um, interest payment on it, Next year, because we've had inflation, now I'm going to get a dollar and three cents. And then if there's three percent more inflation the next year, I'm getting now I'm getting a dollar and, and six uh, plus a little bit. Um, uh, and, and that will that the value of my um, my interest will keep going up every year. And then at the end of the time period, I'll actually also get back all that interest um, returned to me as a a higher. Um, I'll get back more at the end. So I bought this thing for a hundred dollars. Let's say it only ran for one year, and we had three percent interest rate. Um, so, oh, sorry, let me run it for two years. Makes probably makes a little bit more sense. So I buy it in the first year. I buy it for a hundred dollars. I get paid a dollar in the first year. The second year, I get paid a dollar and three cents. Um, I spent a hundred dollars because I've spent a hundred dollars, and there was three percent interest rate. 3% inflation in the first year and 3% inflation in the second year. Now I'm actually going to get back when this thing matures, $106 because it it, it keeps that value of inflation in there. And so, um, yeah, so the benefit is, you know, I get to put a lump of capital in, I get a, a return at a, an interest rate. That interest rate keeps increasing over time um, with inflation. So I get to keep track of inflation. And at the end of the time period, my capital gets back whatever inflation has been over that time period as well. So so really good at locking in returns, especially if you're concerned about inflation or, or you've got living expenses and things like that. Um, that's the upside. The downside is the interest rates are quite low because they, they're going to increase over time. So uh, what you call the running yield um, that you're going to get is is probably... You know, probably the best you could do, and and you might, you know, your capital might be a bit constrained. Would be sort of maybe one point seven five percent at the moment, um, but you're probably more likely to be somewhere between one and 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 one and a half percent that you're going to be getting on on these things. Um, but you know, you could lock that in till till twenty fifty. There's you know, you, for the next twenty five years, you could buy a bond today, um, uh, cost you about ninety eight dollars, um, going to pay you a dollar every year. And that's going to increase at the um, at the rate of inflation uh, for the next twenty five years. So um, yeah, so so great you know a great way to to sort of um, protect yourself from inflation. The only thing is you know that the interest rates are very low, and so you need to you need to have a lot. And so so it's sort of a 
one more tool that, that's worth sitting in your um in in your in your toolkit. Uh, the question will, will really comes down to inflation, and if you're particularly worried about inflation um, being higher than everyone expects, then um, then these are uh, yeah these, these are good for you because the market's sort of pricing in two and a half percent inflation for um, on, on these types of uh, types of things. So if you're expecting inflation is going to be much much higher, then um, uh, yeah this the inflation linked bonds are. Are a great way to protect yourself from from inflation and to um uh you know, to, to hedge that. Um, the question in terms of what happens to inflation linked bonds, thanks, Craig. Uh, if there's deflation, uh, if there is deflation, they will go down. So your your uh your coupon payment will go down, and your the value of your your principal will go down. On the other and the other thing to note as well is um they might not be. You know, there's lots of different measures of inflation, and so depending on what you you know that the you need to make sure that your your view of what inflation is matches up with how they're going to define it um, in in the um, in the buying of these things. So yeah, so if, if you're worried about deflation, absolutely wouldn't be in any of these inflation linked bonds. Um, you're much better off looking at um, ordinary bonds because they will uh, yeah that's prime prime time for uh, investing in in um, ordinary bonds. And so for me. Uh, I'm certainly not out buying lots of. We've got a, a small holding within inflation-linked bonds, but we're not buying any more at the moment. Um, we're sort of yeah, we, we do have those those fears that you know well, we're looking for that bond part to to really hold as as interest rates fall and the, I guess the pendulum swings further and uh, out out that way. And so um, yeah, my take is that now's not quite the right time, but uh, there will be times when inflation-linked bonds get to the right prices and it's just yeah, grab them, throw them in your portfolio and and um, and forget about it. Uh, then the next, uh, actually, I might just go quickly to a quick uh, sales message, and then I'll come back and talk more about uh, equities and what, and what we're seeing there. We'll be back with the investment insights very shortly. Nucleus Wealth is an active and passive investment manager. If you like what you're hearing and want some help with the investing, we can do it for you via our active portfolios. Right, so... When it comes down to uh, let's talk equities, because there's a, there's a whole bunch of things going on in terms of equities. Uh, one is this idea that um, uh, you know looking at Australian stocks versus international stocks and trying to work out wh which do we buy. So you certainly get tax advantages uh, by buying Australian stocks. The Australian stocks buy pay out franking credits, and uh, which effectively gives you. Um, uh, it, it's it's an extra on onto your dividend that effectively tax has already been paid for you. So if you're uh, say earning seventy dollars on a fully franked dividend, uh, that's treated as if um, you actually earned a hundred dollars, but you've already paid thirty dollars of tax. And so um, so yeah, if you're on the top tax rate, I've earned seventy dollars, but I only need to pay, and I've got to pay theoretically, I've got to pay fifty percent tax if I'm on the top tax rate or pretty close to it. Um, in this case, I wouldn't have to pay thirty-five dollars. I'd only have to pay twenty, which is the difference between the two. So yeah, so so is a big benefit. People on um, pensions love it because they can get some money back. Uh, I guess the the key thing I'd like to note with international shares is international shares often do pay um, a um, uh, a version of this. So it's, it's like it's like franking credits uh, that that they pay. Uh, it is because it is tax that you've paid in a in a foreign country. The difference is, uh, you don't if if you not haven't earned any money, you don't get you don't get a refund on it. 
And so I'd, I'd think about, um, in terms of franking, uh, foreign shares sort of give you maybe, uh, maybe, uh, 20% of, of the value of franking credits you, you might get. So it's not, it's not completely, um, uh, all towards Aussie shares, but you know, you, you, you do get some back in terms of the, um, the, the tax you've paid on, on, on shares, uh, internationally, the Australian government lets you offset that versus, versus your income. Uh, but the the thing with franking is once we brought franking in, um, it really did change the uh, how Australian shares were priced. So I've got a chart that's sort of showing up that uh, you know, what the payout ratios were in terms of uh, Australia versus uh, the US, and sort of pre franking, you'd sort of get sixty odd percent um, dividend uh, payout ratio. So so a company earns hundred dollars, they'd pay out about six sixty dollars as um uh as a dividend that then once franking came in that then diverged quite dramatically the us um you know is uh you know has now settled to, to the lower than 40 percent and the aussie market is is up somewhere between that 60 and 80 uh percent level so australian shares are paying a lot more are paying a lot more out in terms of dividends so that's a positive from 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 that perspective so they pay a lot more out uh, and you get a lot more back in in terms of uh, you, you also get the the added benefit of franking credits. The difference is uh, they don't reinvest as much money. So Australian companies tend to look at um, their franking credits as, or, or how they're going to pay out as going. Okay, I have built up a certain amount of franking credits because of the tax I've paid. Uh, these franking credits are of no use to me as a company, so I should get that out to to shareholders as much as possible. And the question um, is: Does that mean that Australian companies invest less in in their in their growth? And so, yes, they pay out a higher return, but then they grow their 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 earnings um, uh, less than what you might find uh, overseas. And certainly, in terms of dividends and, and and EPS as well, that has been the case over the last say twenty odd years. If you just bought an index fund in uh, in Australia in sort of round about. Uh, yeah, just just after the the, the tech crack, um, so you know uh, early two thousands, if you were earning a dollar in dividends, you're probably earning around about three dollars now. So so you've you've increased your dividends significantly over that sort of twenty odd year period, over that twenty year period. But if you were um, say buying a US one at the same rate, um, that'd be that worth almost four dollars fifty now. So your dollar yeah dollar twenty odd years ago, um, yeah is now worth. Um, considerably more than what you 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 would be getting back from your Aussie shares. So uh, it is a little bit of an offset, and you do certainly see that within um, uh, what what's called a buyback. Um, so what happens with companies is a company earns. We'll just take that example. A company earns a hundred dollars in Australia. They're going to pay out say seventy dollars of that to back to shareholders, and maybe reinvest the other twenty dollars. In the US, uh, they're paying back more like thirty or forty dollars as a dividend. But then, what they tend to do is then pay out a whole bunch, you know, a whole bunch as they'll actually go back and buy back their own shares, which actually generates greater growth for for existing shareholders. And so, if you look at the uh, what types of returns or, or, or how dividends go, you sort of go. You know that it's very steady. I've got the S and P up and right up here on as as a as a as a chart for people listening in on the podcast. 
Um, I'm just showing how many, how much they pay in dividends, and it's a pretty steady line, sort of rising from, you know, it's back in the sort of 2000, sort of round about the 150, and and you know now sort of the 550 at the moment, and sort of just gradually rising over that over that time. About a 30 percent, 20 25 percent downturn you sort of got, but it, um, in the uh, 2008 2009, but but recovered that you know within sort of five years. Um, Whereas if I look at that same chart, but for what's been in terms of buybacks, it's up and down all over the place. So there's, um, yeah, some years it's massive, other years it's, 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 it's almost nothing and it just bounces around, um, yeah, quite volatile in terms of, in terms of how, how they're looking at it. And that's, a, I guess that's how um, the US companies or, or international companies tend to look at it is they'll, they'll go, the Australian companies go, I need to get my franking credits out and then I'll decide what I want to do. Whereas uh, the US companies tend to go, okay, we'll, we'll pay out our dividend. And then after we've paid out that dividend, um, then we'll decide, well, what investment opportunities we've got. We've got we've paid out our $30 dividend. We've got $70 to, to work out other, other good investment opportunities. And if not, we'll go back and buy back shares and, and, and use that from that. So if you, if you adjust for the buybacks, um, a lot of that difference goes away in terms of the difference between Australia and and, um, and the US. And, and there's times actually, and even when you look from world perspective, there's times where, you've, where you look um, at uh, the, the how much the world paid out when you counted both buybacks and and um, dividends, and, and sometimes it's, it's above what the Australian um, what the Australian rates are actually are. So that's that's one part. Um, that chart, though, as well, is 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 quite illustrative. Uh, that dividends chart on on the US S and P, just to give you an idea as well that the dividends are pretty steady. You're getting if you've got a diversified portfolio. Now, if you're going to buy stock portfolios and only buy one stock or two stocks, um, yeah, or 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 even if you're only buying one or two sectors, so yeah, you load up say on the on the Aussie banks because they high, pay high dividend yields. You can run into problems where um, they start cutting their yields, and we saw that you know during the pandemic and, and when things go go wrong, the banks um, you know, may may well cut their their, their dividends. Um, uh, and, and more importantly, yeah, in terms of dividends, is is looking at your um, is looking at resource companies because they can they can and will cut their dividends significantly. But if you've got this broad portfolio, well diversified, and I'm using the S and P 500, but it's pretty similar on a, on a world basis as well, is there's actually not a lot of difference in the dividends from year to year, and they do grow. Um, yeah, 2009, which is a, a which was a, a pretty uh, severe event, um, you sort of had your dividends fall sort of 25. percent So if you were getting, you know, you had a, a you know a hundred thousand dollar portfolio, and you were getting $2,000 as dividends. Now that's fallen back to $1,500 uh, $1, for um, for a year and then started off again and, and you're back to, you know, within two or three years, you're back over that that, that money. But from a, from a year-to-year basis, uh, that sort of $2,000 that you're getting in was growing over that time and, and growing quite quickly and, and, and pretty steady in terms of a, in terms of an income. If you invested in individual stocks, uh, that's not that you know, may not be the case. You you could see dividends cut; it could go to zero. You know, it's 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 um it's a, it's a question of diversification. But yeah, broadly diversified portfolios, equity portfolios, are pretty steady in terms of the income um that you can get. And and you know, if you, even if you compare that to say housing, um you know, a lot of people I do speak to a lot of people who, who talk about you know it's great to have my rent coming in every 
uh, you know, every every month on on the investment properties, and you're like, yes, but you do go through, you can go through periods where um, you know people move out, and, and all of a sudden you can't lease it, and and you might be or, or there's big payments in terms of um, what you need to pay for repairs and all these types of things like that. You might find that they could be negative some years, or it could, you know, it could be zero uh, once you sort of net out lost, you know payments you've had to make and, and, and lost tenancy for income and things like that. Whereas uh, that doesn't tend to be the case for, for sort of broadly diversified um, equities portfolios. It's probably not the case as well on a, on a broadly diversified um, property portfolio, but you know, for, for a lot of, you know, if you, if you can have 30 or 40 houses spread across multiple countries and or multiple regions and all that type of stuff like that, then, then you're probably going to have a much steadier income. Um, but that's obviously a lot harder for, for um, you know, you need a lot more money to invest uh, versus it's, it's a lot easier to get that diversification within within stocks. Uh, right, so that was those versus buybacks. Um, uh, I spoke a little bit about the amounts. Uh, the other thing I want to actually, I've got a few more things I want to talk about in terms of stocks, but we might just go to one more quick sales message and then I'll, I'll come back and um, sort of talk a little bit more about uh, how stocks perform, especially the Australia versus international and how that sort of sits. We'll be back again shortly. If you like what you're hearing but want a low-cost passive option, Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia. The first generation of passive investing was index funds. The next gen was ETFs. Now direct indexing is here with significantly more customization and control. The benefit of direct indexing is you can add or subtract investment themes and we have almost 100 different options to choose from. For example, you could buy an international share direct index portfolio that excludes fossil fuels and arms manufacturers and has a tilt towards cybersecurity and cloud computing. Alternatively, you could buy a portfolio with no screens and an extra exposure to nuclear power and defense contractors. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show. So once again, when you're buying stocks, the structure matters. So you can run into those same problems I spoke about with the bond fund. And, and we saw that um, you know, in the financial crisis where there were people who had invested in uh, property funds in particular were, were, were apt to this. And a lot of people who invested in property funds were investing in property funds because they wanted that income and they wanted that steady returns. And particularly some of these unlisted ones where they run into problems, uh, debt gets repriced, things things are, they stop paying they stop paying distributions, and often these funds also locked up, and so you couldn't even sell your your um, your capital, and so they're the ones uh, well worth you know having an eye to history. Um, there was a lot of property funds during that financial crisis um, that that went to that type of um, uh, event, and so if you had something where you're like, yes, I've got this property fund, it's paying me this great. Seven, eight, nine percent uh, return in terms of um, yield, and that's what I'm using to live off. All of a sudden, the yield goes away, or it or falls to, to to very low levels because um, uh, whatever events just happened. Uh, and not only that, it, the the funds locked up, so I can't even sell. You know, I, I had a hundred thousand dollars in that, and and I was earning, you know, getting a seven or eight thousand um, dollar distribution every year to help my living expenses. All of a sudden, that seven or eight thousand dollars gone, and I can't even sell part of my, you know, part of my capital because they've locked up the fund for, um, you know, for years until I can get that money back. And so, um, you know, those unlisted property trusts, unlisted funds, uh, you know, or, or even some of the um, the listed ones that own a lot of unlisted assets, um, you know, important to think of those very much as a, um, I guess maybe an, an enhancement to your yield. 
something where you might be able to get you know an extra um you might be able to you know get a higher yield from it but you don't want to be sitting there and saying that's the money i'm going to rely on in terms of what in terms of what you're writing if you're writing the underlying assets they're listed they're they're large companies um you know liquid markets um it's a lot easier to to, to look through these things and 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 be able to come up with other solutions uh, once you start straying into unlisted funds and um, funds that own a lot of unlisted assets, um, yeah, you can run into those problems when um, uh, you know, when you least want uh, want that issue. So that's one part. Um, the other thing then is uh, there's a Australia. I spoke about the Australian dividend yield being higher than international. So you, on Australia, you can get about a four percent return at the moment in terms of dividend yield, uh, plus some frank credits, plus more frank credits. Internationally is a little bit over two, and so we spoke about how internationally that that yield is growing faster. So you so you get a start with a lower yield, but it's growing faster, and um, there's a bit more scope in terms of the um, uh, what they're doing in terms of buybacks and, and stuff like that. The other issue though is is asset allocation, and what I mean by that is the Australian market is uh, is very different to what you get overseas. Australia is very focused on um, the financial sector and material sector. And in Australia, that means that um, if so I've got a chart up here just sort of showing, or so sorry, table just showing some of the yields you can get from different sectors around the world versus Australia. And the financial sector in Australia in particular um, uh, is got paying you sort of four point seven percent return, and the uh, if you add in energy and and materials as well, um, they're all sort of paying you know those high fours, uh, or sorry into four percent. Um, that makes up sort of sixty to seventy percent of the Australian market, and so or sixty to sixty five. Sorry, um, the that's it's nothing like that in, in on the world. Uh, so I've hidden my. My figures on that. So yes, yeah, so world returns are um, uh, in terms of financials is more like uh, sorry those two sectors together are more like twenty percent rather than the sixty five percent, and so half of the difference between uh, the yield you can get in Australia and the yield you can get uh, um, on global um, stocks is because of that asset allocation, and so what I mean by that is if you just said. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a portfolio. Uh, I'm gonna have a world portfolio, and I'm gonna fill it with um, financials and uh, and uh, resource stocks. Then you could get pretty close back to that same yield again. You could you, you could end up with um, yeah, and especially if you if I was a little bit more specific about resources and 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 energy as opposed to um, sort of the broader materials sector. Um, I could yeah very much come back to a a portfolio that's going to give me a pretty close to the Australian yield just by just by changing the sector allocation. And, and that comes back to a theme I've spoken about a lot on this podcast, which is the Aussie market is, is a very different market to the rest of the world. If I was a financial advisor in the US and a person turned up and I told the, that person that I'm going to put, you know, two thirds of my assets into banks and, and, um, uh, and resource stocks, and something went wrong. I'd lose. I'd lose my license. Like that, they would look upon that as crazy. What the hell are you doing? Taking, you know, two thirds of somebody's assets and piling them all into two two individual sectors. Whereas in Australia, that's the market. That's what we face. And so, um, yeah, the 
keep in mind when you're getting a higher yield in Australia, so part of it's that franking credits and the lower growth. The other part is you're choosing to, to, to make this huge exposure into, into banks and a huge exposure into, um, uh, into resources. Now, resource companies um, are not well known for, for being steady dividend payers. They do pay some high yields from, from time to time, particularly when um, uh, commodity prices are high. But they are more than willing to go to zero and and have done plenty of times over over the the course. So uh, if you're looking for something that will help, you know, give you a little bit of extra oomph in in your portfolio, sure, throw some uh, resources in there to if they, if they're on if they're on high yields, but um, or, or you, and you like the underlying outlook, but definitely don't buy resource stocks if you're trying to look for stability of earnings because that's not going to stability of income because they are not going to give you stability of income. And again, um, they're going to pay out these high yields when everything's great, but when things turn bad, when you most wanted them to, um, they're going to let you down at those points. That's when they're going to um, uh, you know, pull pull out and, and stop paying those dividends. So that's um, so those ones. I did want to, I did want at least also want to touch on um, uh, Commonwealth Bank. Uh, it is just worth noting, yeah, Commonwealth Bank is is uh, one of the largest stocks within the Australian market, and depending on what what uh, what index you you want to you want to grab. Um, you know, you can get a, uh, you can sort of get well over ten percent of of um, uh, of your portfolio ending up in this one stock, and it's expensive. It's a very expensive bank. It's probably the most ex- well, depending on how you want to measure things, but it'd be pretty close to the most expensive bank in in the world. Uh, it's trading on a uh, on multiples that are above Google's. So, um, you know, you, it's a um, uh, yes, you can get a higher yield from it uh, than than you can in Google, but the question is whether you want you know, is that really the exposure you want within your portfolio for 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 growth purposes? And so, um, and that sort of uh, does bias some of these um, some of these choices as well. So, yeah. So I guess I'd be a little bit more circumspect about how you look at um, uh, the Aussie market in particular and the higher yields you can get uh, versus international, and just trying to weigh up the uh, the, the pros and the cons within that. Right, and so uh, I'll go quick. I'll just last call out for any questions. Um, uh, we have a uh, question of the week, which I'll throw up, and then we'll I'll just talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, then the net effect of of what we're um, uh, of, or I guess what's the overall effect for income investors? You know, a bit of a summary, a wrap up of, of of where you should be looking. Uh, so the, the question, I guess, is for you is, uh, you know, what are the good income sources that we've missed within um, within these thoughts, and uh, that that you feel are going to, uh, you know, it's a chance for you to have a, a discussion in the comments and, and talk about the income sources which you do think will be able to hold up in terms of downturns and and um, uh, are more concerning if we start seeing interest rates uh, continue to fall. So with that, uh, I don't think I've got any more questions. Uh, you know, I just want to note. Um, where we where we're looking in terms of uh, investment side, so so really the 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 key thing I want to go out to bring out for anyone who isn't an income income investor is thinking around that um, term deposit rates are great, interest rates you can get on the bank are great at the moment. Uh, if you're worried that if this is money you have to live off though, uh, and you need that and you want that income coming in, 
you should be using the opportunity right now to be trying to lock yourself into some longer rates. Might not be even need, might not need to be for all your money, but at least some of it you should be locking away for longer periods of time. So if we do go into um, uh, lower interest rates, lower inflation, um, you know, economic slowdowns, uh, that you're not going to be facing that the, the same effect we did a few years ago, where your interest rates go from four percent to, to to zero. Um, looking at shares uh, opportunistically for growth. Um, ideally, uh, you know, uh, keep an eye on inflation-linked bonds at the right time. Um, you buy them and forget about them, and, and they, they provide this exactly what a lot of income investors want. Um, but the yields are low, and so yeah, it's a matter of trying to get that get the right yield on on those. Um, but they're they're probably I'd say you 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 your best asset if you can buy them at the right price is those inflation-linked bonds because they 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 give you everything you're looking for. Um, but absent that, you know, uh, and, and the pricing isn't isn't that right? I, th I don't think at the moment on those is more about saying lock in some some solid returns with your bonds, and then look to try and work out where you can with shares. Um, you know, lock in some some growing returns where you can we can actually see that 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 dividend grow over time. Um, uh, so that's all we've got for this week. I just want to highlight. You know, you can pick up. Um, you can read all our stuff across a whole bunch of different uh, places. We do. We are on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, most major and minor platforms, uh, social media, you can you can tap in and and see our stuff, uh, or go to nucleuswealth.com slash content. Um, we're live every Thursday from twelve thirty. Uh, so, and if you've got any uh, thoughts on on guests or topics you'd like to talk about, then then send us an email, and we'd be happy to uh, to have a look at your thoughts and your questions. Thanks. We'll see everyone next week. <laughs>